Welcome to Chief Evangelist. I'm your host, Ethan Butte. I'm on a mission to explore and understand the role of the Chief Evangelist and the movement behind it. How should founders, investors, and C-suites be thinking about it? How does it benefit the company? Which companies and markets need evangelism most? What does the work involve? What does success look like? And who's a good fit as a chief evangelist? That's what we're exploring at chiefevangelist.com and in conversations like this one, which is brought to you by Ringmaster Conversational Marketing and their evangelist-powered podcasting package. Learn more at ringmaster.com. Today, we're learning from the chief evangelist officer at Purple Cork. She served as an account-based marketing leader for companies like Prophecy and Gong. She's a go-to-market advisor for several organizations. She's also a fellow podcast host. Karina Owens, welcome to Chief Evangelist. Ethan, thank you so much for having me. Thrilled to be here. Yeah, really excited about it and glad that you and uh, the founder of Purple Cork both see this evangelist thing as part of uh, an appropriate future of maybe a rehumanized uh, ABM approach or sales and marketing approach or DTM approach. And we'll get into a bunch of that. But I'm going to start with you, Karina, where we always start, which is the most important job of a chief evangelist. Oh, gosh, I think that's definitely just being completely uh, clued in with your customer, the voice of your customer. Where are they, you know, living and breathing? How are you solving a unique problem for them? What are their goals, their aspirations? And I think that's what really attracted me to this type of role is I had always seen kind of the trajectory as a marketer for, you know, going up the ladder to CMO and over the years was just kind of starting to see what that role really encompassed day in and day out. And it felt a little bit more removed than I would have liked from uh, the customer in a lot of ways. And the creativity that, you know, gets us marketers really interested in the first place in, in marketing. So, uh, yeah, it was a really great, um, I think it's a great evolution, too, for what different marketers can take as far as career path. Really good. You fit... Um a style of evangelist that I've spoken with a number of times on this uh, on this show, which is I was the buyer persona at yep. some level. Mm -hmm. um, I also heard a little bit in your response what uh, what Udi Lettergore shared a couple of episodes ago. I assume that you know him. Um, and it was the same, this idea of like CMO at a certain point was not what got me interested in marketing uh, in the first place. And some of it is the creativity, it's the speed, and at some level, it's the customer contact. It's just a completely different job at a particular level. So uh, doubling back into this idea that you were the buyer persona, I would love for you to share how you met Purple Cork. I think your story is really interesting, and, and I think it'll be fun too. Um, just share the story of how you um, got uh, more formally engaged with the company, and then eventually we'll get into why Evangelist was the right position uh, once you both committed to each other. Yeah. So great story. It starts as most stories do these days back in 2020. Uh, the height of COVID, I was working uh, for a company called Prophecy and I was heading up their ABM and demand generation programs and was looking for some unique ways to get our buyers uh, together to network with our team because, of course, uh, in-person events had gone away. And there were a lot of different um, shops that were popping up that were offering kind of similar to what Purple Cork does, which is virtual experiences. But when I would uh, interview these different companies to try and bring them on uh, for a program, I just didn't feel like they had that marketing expertise. So it was kind of just something that they were doing on the side. And when I met uh, Kelly Robb, the founder of C Purple Cork, w without even her letting me know she was a former marketer, I could just tell. And then sure enough, we got into that. 
So uh, I was actually her second customer right behind Sixth Sense. She initially just did this as a hobby where during COVID time, she just wanted to have access to her family and friends to do something unique like wine tasting. And then she saw it as a real opportunity. And over the years, you know, even though we were not formally working together at the time, we had always just kind of workshopped like, what is the perfect virtual event framework and formula? Because it didn't really exist back then. You had webinars, but it certainly wasn't the same as a virtual experience. Um, and so we've been workshopping like, what is the classic purple cork that we offer today to our clients? And I've been taking her to company to company, last one being Gong. And, you know, we just, we, she always saw me evangelizing the brand for her. Of course, she saw that like in her pipeline, she saw all the referrals and we had always had a great uh, rapport. And she was at a point in her business where she felt like this would be a really strategic move for her to actually, to your point earlier, bring on the, her exact voice of the customer. So I was an ABM marketer. Um, I understood field marketing very well. I understood demand generation very well. Of course, a cap-based marketing very well. And because of all those talks all through those years, so 2020 to 2023, I also showed a certain level of authority to her because it really helped to shape her programs and her offerings. So yeah, I, to your point too, I think it's a really great idea. I, I you know, I, I get asked a lot too, like when should you bring on evangelists? What is the right time? And I think it's totally dependent on what you're hoping to get out of the role. Like what stage are you at and what are you hoping to get to? And then finding who is that right persona that can help get you there. Yeah, really good. I think, and maybe we'll explore some of those uh, variations and who needs what and when. Uh, but but staying with Purple Cork specifically, you know, obviously you brought a variety. I mean, you mentioned uh, that you had demonstrated just through the course of interacting with Kelly, your your authority and, and credibility and expertise in a variety of these zones. Um, why not? VP of demand gen or SVP marketing or CMO or something else? Why the evangelist role um, for you and for Kelly and for the market uh, at the time? Yeah, I think that the chief evangelist role, as we've kind of talked about earlier too, like it, it, it can be many different things. And I think to be a VP of demand generation or a VP of sales, you're narrowing your focus quite a bit. And I've always had an entrepreneurial spirit and mindset. And I've liked always getting my, you know, hands involved in different aspects of the business. And what I'm doing here specifically is very much holistic of uh, the customer experience. So I've looked a lot at our operations. I've looked a lot at our processes. I've looked a lot about client engagement, onboarding. Um, of course, there's marketing mixed in with that. You know, we've run a whole account-based marketing one-to-one -one program for some of our top clients earlier this year. But to have that role, as far as I've seen it evolve over the years, it can evolve and take on many different types of um, expertise and different types of skill sets. And so that's what attracted me to say that. But I, I mean, I, I'm, I'm still up in the air too. Is that the right title? Because uh, I see so many third-party external evangelists, brands evangelists, meaning like there's somebody that's not on the payroll, right? There's somebody that's um, external, part-time, et cetera. So I'm still wondering what what we can do, you know, you you and I, Ethan, in the community, like what can we do to formalize that a bit more? Or is it okay to be a little bit nebulous at the moment? I'm not sure. Yeah, it's it, in at this at the moment it is because right. it's all still a little bit up in the air. It's been interesting to see kind of who's worn the title and when and why. Um one of my motivations to start this show was to try to normalize and I don't I, I don't want to steer it in a particular way. But I will say I certainly have uh, my own thoughts and opinions and observations. So I'll just share a couple with you for your own feedback, just like right in this zone is like, you know, the, the creator. There are elements of many evangelist roles that kind of uh, 
share some qualities of a creator type role. But to me, the creator lacks some of the authority, the credibility, the subject matter expertise, the executive presence, the ability to hold court in any setting, whether it's one of their own creation or one that they got invited into or walked into or found themselves in. There's, a, there, there's something different there. Um, in addition, then you have like, like uh, an influencer, generally speaking. And that I think is someone who has um, shares a little bit with a creator. They, they built an audience, they built a platform and oh, by the way, you can access it generally in exchange for money, but maybe in exchange for something else. Um, and so, you, so you're leveraging, you, you've built something that you can now leverage in a variety of different ways, but it's not this like, I am the customer, I know the customer, I know the market. Again, that, that kind of expertise piece of it and, and whatever else we call it, like brand ambassador, I think is generally reserved for those customers that really get it, like you with Purple Cork, a very early customer, saw it, got it, shared the vision, shared the passion, probably shared some of the, um, and, and then as you shift in, whether it's a formal title or not, whether it's compensated or not, um, at some point when you shift in, that could look a lot of different ways, but I think evangelist is certainly one of those. Um, anything I share there resonate with you or anything you want to push back on, like beat it up a little bit? No, I, th I think that the main use cases you described, I think is where people's minds go to instantly when they think about it. And, um, and I think that's, that's kind of why too, I, I, I did want this role to be a little bit more elevated because I, you know, to your point, I am holding court with our, our CEO day in and day out. And, you know, we are talking to, um, you know, other executive buying teams, et cetera. We are doing things that directly impact business. And I think that to put another label on it could have been seen a little bit differently. So, but you're, to your point, it's all about perception. And, and yeah, I think the more we have conversations like this, the more we can formalize it a bit to be, to be a little bit more understood, I think, in our, the way we look at uh, roles today in corporate corporations. Very good. How did you uh, shape up the role? Like when it's like, okay, um, you're going to join us full time. You're like, yes, I am going to join you full time. Um, love what you're up to. We obviously get each other really well. We've done some work together, um, et cetera. We share the vision. Um, we settled on maybe a, a title because of, you know, some of the limitations of some of the other ones I threw out earlier and you wanted to characterize it the right way, probably leave some flexibility in there. But at some point there has to be some kind of at least a loose sketch of like, so what are you doing here? Not only for yourself and for Kelly, but also for the other people around you um, yeah. to understand, you know, who is Karina? What can I bring to her? What can I rely on her for? What shouldn't I, et cetera? Like, what was the process of shaping up, you know, a job description or a scorecard or whatever means that you use to kind of um, track and measure progress and success? Right. I think with all things, especially early stage startup, you kind of get thrown in and look for what are some of the lowest hanging fruit things that I can just tackle right now and excel for the business. So there was definitely a lot of that in the beginning where it was just kind of thrown into operations. So how are we operationalizing um, a pipeline? How are we operationalizing client onboarding? How are we um, thinking about future projections? And that involves a lot of historical looking back. Um, and then, you know, I think too, so much about what we're doing right now is there's still not quite a perfect category or what Purple Cork is doing from virtual experiences. So there's been a lot of work around positioning, pricing and packaging. How are we going to market? Which definitely involves a lot of product marketing in, in most organizations, but really critical because as you think about projections, since your point, KPIs, et cetera, um, of course, as any marketer and salesperson, you know, revenue is at, you know, the main North Star for what are my goals and my metrics. But 
see, knowing that and knowing kind of where we've been and where we're wanting to go involved a lot of um, considering our position in the market. And right now, so often our competition is just do nothing, which you never really want as a marketer, right? You want, it's good, it's healthy to have very clear competition so people can really figure out where to place you, um, you know, in their mind and how to categorize and bucket you. That's just how the human, you know, human brain works. So that was certainly a big um, North Star for us. But I think overall, the team too just kind of saw that this would be something where I'm really Kelly's right hand as much as I can be. And I'm here for anything and everything as much as I can be. Um, and as we're kind of, you know, hitting these different um, uh, goals, as we're hitting these different kind of marks, we're, we're slowly kind of figuring out where is the best use of my time. So I'm not having to do everything. And, and, and it's kind of getting to that point too, where we're, we're really realizing that positioning is, is probably the big roadblock for, for me and for Kelly. Really good. I, I've heard a lot of what you shared there in other conversations as well. One kind of joined at the hip very often with product marketing. Sometimes it's temporary, like for a, you know, a particular window and sometimes it's permanent. For example, um, I think the next episode that will release is with a gentleman who is a chief evangelist and vice president of product marketing. You know, oh, so, so okay. the product market is, the, by, by the way, I guess the, I'll, I'll use that as my hitch into um, kind of a title uh, set of questions or a conversation with you. Um, but a lot of folks will share like chief evangelist and fill in the blank. And, and it's a little bit of a hedge against like the the um, the ambiguity around what is a chief evangelist, I guess. Um, to turn that into a title question for you. Oh, and by the way, category is another one too, obviously. Is there a bigger narrative? Is there a bigger story? Do we need to be defining the problem or the opportunity more clearly? If so, that's certainly a call that you need an evangelist no matter what stage of company you're in. Um, so uh, officer, to officer mm -hmm. or not to officer with the chief <laughs> evangelist. Uh, talk, talk about any, th any thoughts on that? Yeah. I think that the obvious thing for my brain with that is that the acronym of chief evangelist officer is CEO, right? <laughs> and that in people's brains is chief executive officer. So yeah. I, I noticed that pretty quickly. And so I wanted to make it just very clear in my communications that I'm a chief evangelist. And if I needed to, you know, designate what level that and put me in the company, I'm happy to do that. But I wanted it to be very clear that I'm not the CEO, that I'm not the founder, that I am, you know, you know, uh, here for different purposes. So at the moment, I've taken the approach to not, but I would love to know your thoughts on that too. Because I, I, I see I see both happening right now in the market. Yeah, it's interesting. I, in general, I see it as chief evangelist. And in many cases, possibly even most, it's hard to know or hard to say, um, the chief evangelist isn't actually even a C-suite position for a lot of people. Now, uh, the when I took on the chief evangelist title the first time, um, I, I was one of the earliest team members of this company. I had been there for, at that point, maybe seven or eight years. Um, I was in the senior leadership team. I was in the executive leadership team meetings, even though I was VP marketing at the time. Um, so I did share a little bit of that executive dynamic. But in general, I think dropping the officer um, in part reflects someone in like a, a, a solid, small or mid-sized firm or even a large one. Uh, which is kind of free agency throughout the organization. I interact with sales. I interact with, you know, the CS team or the account managers or whomever. Um, I, I'm joined at the hip with marketing uh, for different things. Um, I, I have access to the executive suite, um, but but I'm not, none of this territory is mine really to own. I'm this kind of like, again, free agent in and about the organization to 
uh, to serve, leveraging my network, my expertise, my curiosity, the best practices I've collected, my storytelling and presenting abilities and all these other things. And so the officer at some point, at some level kind of designates like a, a, zo a specific zone of ownership and influence. Um, and certainly we should each have that, but um, I've seen it both ways. And in some, t the thing I like about officers is that it does kind of connote um, I, this is a C-suite position and obviously you are joined at the hip with your CEO, which kind of qualifies it that way. Um, anything I say there trigger anything for you? I think you're spot on. I think you, you articulate that very well. It's certainly, I'm eligible to put that officer <laughs> title on, but it was to your point that I was seeing too, just even externally, I felt like I may not be able to be involved in some conversations in, in certain like communities and groups if I had a certain level of, you know, officer tied with it. And so I would have been left out of, you know, the digital watering holes that are so important for me to be embedding myself in. So I, I, I echo that and I agree with that. Um, and I, I, again, it could, it could change over the years, but right now to your point, because I'm so involved in customer success, because I'm so involved in operations and marketing and sales, but to your point, I am not designating myself as the leader of any of those. I just am a part of all of it. Um, it felt like the most natural uh, thing to present myself as. Hey, thanks for listening to Chief Evangelist. For so many reasons, podcasting is a great opportunity and channel for evangelism. If you've been thinking about a podcast or you want to shift production and promotion to a team that's especially evangelist friendly, check out ringmaster.com. Their Connect Engage Scale program is designed for evangelist-powered podcasting for software and tech companies in the growth stage. Again, you can learn more at ringmaster.com. They're also the team behind this podcast. Speaking of chief evangelists, let's get back to it. Really good. I'd love to go to this watering hole thing. Um, yeah. Some people, it is, uh, I want to know how you think about it, how you approach it. I think there is a delicate art to being present in a way that balances um, natural curiosity and value add and just being present like a good, interesting, cool, accomplished person. Also with a commercial motivation, uh, right. sometimes doing that work of like finding the right spots to be and spending time there doesn't feel like, and now I'm speaking very personally, doesn't feel like work. So I feel guilty doing it in like, kind of like a, how, how do you think about these spaces? Um, do you even think about it on a split between personal and professional? Um, do, do you think about like work time at all? Or are you just doing your thing all the time? And it, oh gosh, I guess it's time to set this down and go eat dinner and chill out for a little while. Like, like how do you, where does this fit into what you're doing? And certainly then maybe also any tips you've seen, good, bad, or ugly uh, on behavior in communities that is at some level commercially motivated. I mean, were there not, anyway, I'll just stop talking. Yeah, there's so many uh, different directions we can go with this, but I think yeah, totally. overall, I wouldn't be in the position I am today if I didn't carefully uh, respect and conduct myself in a uh, thought leadership forward type of way. And so any engagement I do, even if it's a podcast or a joining event or a speaking engagement or advising, I have to separate myself from being just purely sales driven and motivated. So it's a mindset for me. And I, you know, I don't know how other founders will, will take carrying this, but I have to be respectful of my craft first and foremost, because I don't think anybody would take me seriously if I 
deviated from that. Are there benefits from that? Of course. And I think, you know, everybody's mindful of Karina's here. I know who she represents. I know what, you know, her main job description is. But Karina is also somebody that I can talk to for tips on how to launch an ABM program or uh, how to scale it. So I have to respect my my craft uh, first and foremost. Um, and from that perspective, I think if I ever start to deviate from that, I think the market will tell me. <laughs> I think that uh, my credibility will, will start to get will get lost. And so that doesn't benefit anybody I'm working for full-time or part-time. So I have to first and foremost be cognizant of that. Really good. About, about like when you think about, and this isn't, I don't expect an exact number, but yeah. when you think about um, all the different responsibilities and opportunities that you have, where does, where does reading, engaging, participating, showing up virtually or in person, where does some of this kind of just generally speaking community stuff, whether it's Slack or LinkedIn or another channel, again, in person, virtual, whatever, is this 10% of your time? Is it 25% of your time? Is it like just ballpark that a little bit? Like where does it fit in your your day-to-day, week-to-week, month-to-month? Yeah, I think that it's super important that you're able to generally just time manage well. And I, I certainly feel very confident in my capabilities to do that. To put a number on it, I, I think that you can't afford to not be doing that in this day and age. I think any executive that's not spending time in the digital watering holes where their customers are and they're not sharing their voice and their point of view, you're behind the curve. Um, so to put, to put an amount on it. So I, I, I post on LinkedIn minimum five times a week, sometimes a little bit less. I, I'm not too rigid about that, but I'm active. I'm there and I'm thoughtful and I'm engaged. Um, I'm in Slack communities, so it can vary from week to week, but I would say, you know, I think 10% is a really good indicator. Um, and I'm the biggest thing I think is the network. So I'm always networking in my opinion. There's I'm networking on the weekends too. And I don't really equate that to, you know, a a time schedule or work schedule, but I can't afford, and I don't think most leaders today can afford to not be present um, in these different groups and these different digital watering holes. Very good. How do you figure out which ones are the right ones? You just know it when you see it. Uh, Someone recommends one, so you check it out and you like, you kind of just have a feel for it. Um, Any, any, I guess I'll turn this into a very direct question. any strategies for someone who is in something like an evangelist role um, to find two or three of the best spots to to be present where the people they need to understand are are connecting? Yeah, I think that you should thoroughly understand where your audience is trusting first and foremost. So that can be through customer uh, calls, through customer interviews, third-party research, but knowing where they find are the trust resources is key and then being active there. I think too, it's super important to understand what what is expected of you in the community too, or how are others like what what is the expectation of that? And I think you can see in communities where it's it's quite dead. Um, there's just a lot of promotional um, you know aspects, but there's not a lot of conversation. That for me is a is a red flag. That's an indication of people are starting to see this as a marketing spam like initiative, and therefore not going to be spending and being authentic in in those conversations. And so. If the community itself is not thriving, on if it's dependent on the organizers, the moderators to keep that community going, it's probably not behoove you to spend a lot of your wheels and time and attention there because you're going to be seen a little bit more like a spam tactic or a marketing tactic versus being something that's, you know, people are there to learn, people are there to grow and connect. Yep, absolute red flags. Uh, and just picking up on spam, I would love for you to talk about changes you've seen throughout your career 
I'll just generally characterize it as B2B go to market or B2B sales and marketing. What changes have you seen? Like what's the, what's the story arc you would say if you were to kind of characterize your career that leads us to where we are today, where I think generally we can say um, the outbound and inbound playbooks are pretty well played. We all know those tactics. And so like no one fills out the form anymore because they know the content is going to be 50% as good as they're hoping. And it's going to result in a whole barrage of other stuff. Um, you know, the, the phone carriers uh, generally present calls in such a way that I'm not taking a call. I don't know that from someone who's not in my phone unless I'm expecting it. Um, you know, where are we and why? What do you think the present and future of evangelism is in light of your career in B2B go to market? Yeah. Well, so I think we have to think back around, gosh, maybe 15 years ago when marketing automation became all the rage. And it became this way of marketing justifying their seat at the table because now we had this black box that could give us all this attribution data to prove the ROI of our fruits and labors and hopefully become seen as credible as like somebody like on the sales team. I think then what we've seen too is that the, the problem has always prevailed that there's still this problem that the market's trying to solve, which is marketing sales alignment. The fact that that's still a keynote or multiple topics and tracks at a conference and like is maddening. We've been talking about this for decades and we're constantly repackaging what's going to solve that. You know, I think um, five, seven years ago, that was account-based marketing. And now we're starting to see that go-to-market is more of the terminology and technology umbrella that we're using to solve these very, um, you know, archaic problems. Um, but I think in the age of AI, I think that creators, I think that evangelists are going to reign supreme because even in the absence of tools, technologies, um, frameworks, uh, templates, playbooks, it's the person behind all of that that's really the secret sauce. It's that person that knows how to drive meaningful conversations that build relationships that, I mean, that's a skill that's attacked. Even writing, you know, as, as helpful as uh, tools like ChatGPT can be, they cannot replace uh, the authenticity of a human or the personality or the expertise. Certainly not yet, right? They're going to need hundreds of thousands of data sets more to get close to that. Um, but it's a skill set that I, I think, I think people like to lean on these tried and true tactics because it's the the easy way or it's the popular way. But the the truth is, I always say this, sometimes you have to do the unscalable to scale. And that is so much of, I think, what creators and evangelists are doing is they're doing things that are creative and hard to, to, to understand and come up with and let alone execute, let alone successfully. So long summary to say that I think the trend has been AI technology are silver bullets to revenue problems. But I think what we're going to see be the actual trend, uh, certainly in the new year uh, over the, you know, and beyond, is the individuals behind these machines, behind these technologies, behind these frameworks, they're going to continuously be much more of an asset for organizations. Really well said. I appreciate so much of what you shared there. And um, the word that I wanted to plug in as you're kind of listing why people go to some of these tactics and tools uh, is the word safe. And of course, we know that doing the safe thing is generally uh, not the safe thing in the long term, um, you know, too conservative. I also felt like there was an undertone uh, in the way that you spoke to it. And perhaps I'm just assigning it because I want to hear it. <laughs> 
Uh, but uh, I heard a little bit of an undertone of like, like GTM is just kind of like this new language that we're using for some of the same old problems. I think some of its intention, its, its ideal intention would be to include customer success in this. Um, but I think the same way that we see the CRO title, now we're going a little off. I'm going, I'm taking us a little off topic, just like here to wrap up at the end. But, um, you know, the CRO very often is just the sales and marketing leader and doesn't include customer success. So I think, you know, I see a lot of um, misapplication of the language in general. Um, it's the same thing when we talk about customer experience, but it's exclusively a project work coming out of the CS team. Now, CS could lead it, but customer experience includes sales and marketing just as well as it includes the post-sale experience. And I think it's the same thing uh, with regard to go to market. It should be like this all in, it, it matches. Customer experience conversation is the CRO conversation, is the RevOps conversation, is the kind of end-to-end -end go to market conversation, but no one's figured that out anymore to your point of the way you kick that off. No one's solved that any more than they've solved the sales and marketing alignment issue. Right, well, I mean, just to, to your point, it's, it's it was account-based marketing, which kind of talked about all the umbrellas that would be in a go-to-market team. And then it became account-based experience because to your point, they wanted to highlight the customer centricity and the different groups within go-to-market team, which customer success is huge for that. But that's not quite landing, right, with the, the technology umbrella for that new terminology. So the broader, the broadest term that we, we can is go, go to market. And there's nothing wrong with that. The strategy, the, uh, the methodology behind these, you know, you know, motions makes sense. It's, it's funny to me that we continuously repackage very similar tools, et cetera, and then seek to, of course, you know, evangelize it. And uh, it, it's, it's a similar packaging or slightly different packaging with a similar problem that we're still trying to solve. And it's the same problem that's kind of as old as time. So why isn't it completely landing? Why, why aren't we more in unison? Why is it still? Yeah, I don't know. Uh, I think it goes back to um, the human embodiment, the human expression, the human experience of your, your, your point of view about the world, uh, et cetera. What I'm basically saying is an evangelist can play in a really important role in kind of closing that gap. Uh, yeah. And in fact, as you're evaluating whether or not, if, when, and how to uh, include an evangelist in your go-to-market strategy, broadly speaking, um, if you don't see a place for this person, you probably don't have a very clear point of view, which means that you're probably not truly solving anything in, with any form of innovation. Right. Well, and how hard is that, too, for a founder to pivot, right, to actually, you know, change what they started this for, especially, excuse me, especially if it's very early on. And I think that's a big challenge point for evangelists is because of how close they are to these founders, these executives. It's, you know, giving the the data, the uh, market feedback that market intelligence is super critical. But you, to your point, there, that internal evangelism has to be happening as well. And that can be sometimes more challenging than external. Yeah, really good. Okay. This has been awesome. I appreciate you so much, Karina. I'm glad that we uh, finally, we've been working on this one for a little while. I'm glad it happened. And I would love to have you back again um, as we get deeper into 2024, because there are a number of topics we didn't get to. Um, and you're so well versed in so much of it. And you're very clear and articulate about um, these things. So I have a lot more questions for you. But I've only got one more in this conversation. And that is, what is something you find yourself evangelizing in your own personal life? Or another fun way to think about it is, uh, what's something that people close to you have accused you of evangelizing? 
Oh, I really love that question. And I, I don't say that often. So I, I appreciate that that's part of this. Um, you know, I think that I think fundamentally people want to be seen. And I think that's why we struggle a lot with connecting and communicating. It's because on the other end, we're just not feeling seen by the other party. And so I'm constantly evangelizing this uh, this need to sit in a room with uncomfortable conversations just to have and appreciate the person in front of you and remove as much as we can as humans that personal defense layer a bit so we can both end up having a conversation and learn from each other and hopefully make the other person feel seen. So that is what I constantly am trying to evangelize. Um, and I just do my best to, to, to practice what I want to see in the world with that. Yeah. Beautifully said. I appreciate that. I, I share that with you too. I think, um, undivided attention and active listening are the best gifts we can give to other people. And therefore, in a way, the best gifts we can give to ourselves, if we can have the discipline and the muscle to commit to that in an age where it becomes increasingly valuable uh, mm. for some of the reasons we already talked about in general, noise, pollution, spam, divided attention, et cetera. This is the gift that every human being needs and no one really has the courage or willingness to ask for. And so I love the idea that you're evangelizing it through word and deed. Um, I hope you have a great rest of your day. Thank you so much for doing this. Thank you, Ethan. I so appreciate this podcast and everything you put out there. Thank you for everything you're doing for the community. Sure, last thing. Obviously, yeah. uh, we can find you on LinkedIn, Karina Owens, that's with two R's. Uh, any place else that you would send people who want to connect with you, learn more about what you're up to? Yeah, this has been my narrow focus as I have uh, cut all social media ties except for LinkedIn. I don't know if that'll change in the future, or not, but you can find me on LinkedIn. Always happy to connect and just talk shop. I also, as you mentioned earlier, have a podcast called Direct where we seek to highlight uh, the unsung go-to-market heroes that you may have not heard of that are behind some of the most you know, fantastic campaigns that you see and love. So yeah, thank you, Ethan. I appreciate you saying that. Awesome. Uh, for folks that are uh, at this point in the conversation, there's a link down below, whether you're watching on YouTube or listening in your preferred podcast app to the things that Karina mentioned and to Karina's LinkedIn profile. Good job on thin thinning out social media. I wish I could do the same <laughs> thing. I'm not in a position to do that at the moment, uh, no. but I love the choice you made. Thanks, Ethan. That wraps up this episode of Chief Evangelist. Thank you for joining us. And thanks to Ringmaster Conversational Marketing for helping bring these episodes to you. With any thoughts or questions about the Chief Evangelist role, message me on LinkedIn. I'm Ethan Butte, E-T-H-A-N-B-E-U-T-E. -E -E. For show notes and more of these conversations, visit chiefevangelist.com.